Hi friends, just a brief little addendum to this episode you are about to hear. I am outside, so you will probably hear some birds going. Um, I've made a decision to change the direction of the podcast, um, both of my podcasts. So jokes on me coming up with creatures of change because I mean, really where that came from is many of us, arguably all of us, because we are all constantly having to adapt to change, but some of us also really love change and that is me. So I thought it would be fun to do a podcast on that, but turns out it was only intended to be for one brief little season. And now I am shifting my online focus to an exciting new development um, called Bad Bitch Therapist. So soon we will be relaunching in this podcast feed bad bitch therapist podcast in early 2023 but i didn't want these creatures of change conversations or the past body full conversations to get lost and go away forever so i'm just leaving them here in this feed labeled as the podcast they are so you can continue to find those enjoy those share them and meanwhile watch for brand new episodes coming in early 2023 of Bad Bitch Therapist Podcast. Thanks, guys. We've all said it at some point. I'm just a creature of habit. And sure, there's a lot to say for consistency and routine. But what about that other aphorism? The only constant in life is change. Maybe we're creatures of change, too. In this podcast, we'll explore change from a variety of perspectives. Stories of people who've made huge changes in the trajectory of their lives, others who've made small but lasting and impactful changes in their day-to-day lives, and we'll also just nerd out about the science of human behavior and how we can get better at executing the small changes and embracing the big ones. I'm Valerie Martin, and you're listening to Creatures of Change. Hi friends, I'm so glad to be back with you. And as I said the other day on the most recent episode of the Bodyful podcast that came out, which is uh, the sister podcast to Creatures of Change, um, better late than never. However, I, I think I'm finally at that point, you guys. I'm going to hire a, an actual professional team or organization, um, and my commitment is that I am going to do that before this podcast actually airs, um, which as I'm recording this on a Friday, I'm going to release this early next week. So uh, I'm going to send an email later today. I'm going to do it, okay? I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> Let it be known. Um, I know Jenny actually has a production company, uh, Jenny being our guest for this podcast uh, episode, that she highly recommends, I believe called One Stone Creative. I don't know um, if I'm at that level yet. We'll see. Check out their pricing, but work with them or another organization or person who can support me in staying on uh, track with these episodes because I truly love having these conversations and sharing them and I am so grateful for those of you listening and the feedback that you give. Um, I just love it. So I do want to do better about getting them out more consistently, but I need help. 
and you know you just got to wave the white flag sometimes so <laughs> um other than that i will share that i am super excited that this sunday my husband chris and i will be driving the five hours over toward um, the st louis area my mom recently moved at the end of the summer to a little town in illinois about half an hour from st louis and chris and i visited st louis in may actually to go see hamilton at this incredible theater there called the fabulous fox and uh that was before they really had a, even knew that they were going to be there and uh we already fell in love with st louis and the amazing vegan food so i'm super jazzed that not only is my mom and stepdad way closer now but they also um live near a really cool town that we'll enjoy visiting and when we visit this trip um we are we get to stay a few days because it's chris's fall break from school and we get to see hades town at the fabulous box so i'm really jazzed for that um it's funny because i think jenny and i maybe after we recorded this conversation which was several weeks ago now uh, I mentioned to her that I was like, oh, we actually might come to New York City for uh, Chris's fall break and we you know, want to go see a Broadway play and all that. So I was like, oh, I'll keep you posted. But then we uh, decided that we should take that time to go visit my mom's new home. So we'll get to New York City at some point, hopefully next year. Um, and Jenny, you better bet I will be hitting you up <laughs> to try to get together. So Jenny, I have known I don't know how many years now in the online world, um, just through her her podcasts, her books, um, the community that she has built of just wonderful humans, um, some of whom actually one I just got done interviewing earlier this morning, Caitlin Foss, that episode will be coming out. Uh, soon. So I've met so many wonderful people through Jenny's community, and I just can't speak highly enough of her work, her podcasts. Uh, she's just an awesome friend. And, and as I always tell people, friend tour, which is the term I learned from her. <laughs> so um, definitely check out Jenny's podcasts and books, which I will tell you about here in a moment when I share her bio. Jenny Blake is an author and podcaster who runs a media and licensing company. She loves helping people move from friction to flow through smarter systems powered by, powered by delightfully tiny teams. She recently released her award-winning book, third book, Free Time, Lose the Busy Work, Love the Business. If you're watching the uh, this on YouTube, you can see the lovely book cover as I'm holding it up here. Uh, Jenny is also the author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One, winner of the Axiom Award for the Best Business Book in the Careers category, and co-creator of Google's global drop-in coaching program, Career Guru. She hosts two podcasts with over 1 million downloads combined, Free Time with Jenny Blake for heart-based business owners and Pivot with Jenny Blake for navigating change. So needless to say, when I decided that as I was kind of having a moment of laughing at myself and like, oh, here I go changing this thing again, and then deciding that I wanted to have a podcast all about change, my kind of my first thought was like, oh my God, but is that too similar to pivot? Like, I don't want to step on Jenny's toes. But we, as much as we are similar, we are also different. We have different styles, different um, focus areas. And so I think Creatures of Change will continue to develop into its own thing that is not pivot. However, of 
course, I needed the author of Pivot and host of the Pivot podcast to come on and and help us understand more about change and also talk about the changes she's been through in her own life and career. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Jenny Blake. I'm so excited to have you here. Likewise, I always love following all your projects, all your podcasts, everything you're doing, and I'm just delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, you're like my podcast Yoda because I think when I started my old one, what's the fucking point? It was because I listened to, I think it was a hundred episodes of Pivot maybe, and you were like, here's why to start a podcast. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I love it. And what has been your biggest learning from having done it for so many years now? I think it's more of a passion project than something that I'm necessarily trying to make a stream of income. My biggest thing is just do it because I could get really hung up on, oh, but I don't have the perfect video setup or this or that and get really stressed about listener numbers and all. I just enjoy doing it. And obviously I'd love to reach more people. And so I, I'm going to do the turning pro thing to a little more than I have before with this one. But yeah, just doing it, which I think is going to be a theme of a lot of these conversations. Yes. <laughs> you really inspired me on that front with the podcast that you did where you recorded daily outside while walking, birds are chirping, because <laughs> I used to be a perfectionist. And I still am for the most part of the pristine quiet and all of that mm. but your episodes were so rich and full of movement and because it was daily you can't be a perfectionist when you're putting something out daily and I think it's such a good exercise totally ties into the process of navigating change as well of shipping something that's okay and that's not perfect yeah. and knowing that and then just continuing to do it and then I don't know if you found this but I have found when I've done things like that in the past the muscle builds so that by day five or day 10, it's all flowing. There's more mm -hmm. momentum anyway. It feels less hard. There's less friction. And I try to keep that in mind too with my whole career. I've been thinking a lot about the long arc of creativity mm. is that no one thing is ever really that perfect, but you just keep going and showing up over the long arc. And that even with my two podcasts, I just hope that even if every episode isn't a home run, somebody really loves one out of four or one out of five. And that's actually good enough these days, I think, for maybe not to be a top show. But yeah. And even the goals are allowed to change over time. Like I know that you also went through a phase of, of podcasting daily during the pandemic, and but that wasn't necessarily intended to be a forever thing. It was like, I'm going to do this while this feels like what I want to be doing or while this feels like I'm still delivering value. And there may be times where the podcast is more front and center in terms of what your goals are. And there might be times where it's this is here, but I'm not trying to make it the thing. It reminds me, I don't do CrossFit anymore, but I did it for about a year. I just kept getting weird tweaks that would take me Ugh, out of yoga yeah. and Pilates. So I stopped. But it reminds me of that process, whether it's creative or CrossFit, where Every time I showed up, I would do way more than I thought I was capable of. And that's something I really appreciated with CrossFit is that I would walk in, look at the chalkboard or whiteboard, whatever the wad, the workout of the day was, and just be have my jaw on the floor. Like, you're telling me that in an hour I'm supposed to have done <laughs> that by the time I leave here? 
But then the confidence having done it was unlike anything that I would ever create for myself. I'll barely make myself do a reverse triangle in yoga, let alone, or a bird of paradise, let alone some hour long, super intense thing because it's just not my workout personality style. And daily podcasting was like that. Shows like The Daily by The New York Times, they have at least 20 full-time team members. There I was pushing myself, but it felt so good to realize, oh my goodness, like I can do this every day. I did it for three months. And then now people think I'm crazy for producing 12 episodes a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, it's easy because I've already done every day for three months and it's not always easy and it's definitely juggling and making trade-offs in other parts of the business. But I'd look at it now and I think three a week, that's actually not a big deal because I've done more. I've done harder. Right. It's all relative. Yeah. Totally. In this conversation, we'll definitely get into your own career and life pivots and Also, you wrote an entire book called Pivot and have an entire body of work around that. So clearly some things about change and all of the research and interviews that you've had for the book and on your podcast over the years. There's just so many angles that we can explore. But let's start with your story. And I thought maybe a fun way to get into that is when you were 10 years old, what did you imagine your life would look like when you grew up? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I don't know that I had detailed, intricate ideas about that. My parents got divorced when I was five. And I think one result of that is I never really fantasized about marriage. It didn't seem like that cool of a product. <laughs> it was like they weren't that happy when they were married, and that's fine. So I was never really envisioning that aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't in my consciousness. Let's even put it that way. Yeah. And I love both of my parents so much and I just want them to be happy. It was like, do you kind of thing. But it meant that I wasn't seeing that aspect of life modeled for me. And I always loved building, making things, creating things. So when I was 10, I started a family newspaper called The Monthly Dig Up. I sent it every month all the way through the end of high school. and that connects to my love of learning things and then completing a process by sharing it back out with other people. And that's what I've continued to do. I did work at a startup. I worked at Google, but I've been self-employed now for over a decade. And the things that I love most involve what I did with a monthly dig up, reading, (laughs) curating, collecting, interviewing family members, putting little tidbits. I loved to write about the latest tech trends, even then, even when I was very young, like scanners. I remember when scanners just hit the market and I wanted everyone I knew to know about them and what was possible. So that's still what I do to this day. Yeah. So what's neat in that is that there is kind of the constant and who you are as a person that has been fairly steady, even when it looked like this family newspaper and now it looks like having JBE, Jenny Blake Enterprises, and sharing content in all of these different ways. And yeah, there were those formative career points of Google and all of that, but that's not really ever where you were going to land, probably. I think that's true. When I went to college, I went to UCLA. I thought I was going to be a journalist, and then I pivoted without having that word for it to political science, added that on. And I actually really wanted to work on presidential campaigns. Until my advisor told me, 
those people are miserable. <laughs> you're working really long hours, 14 hour days. You're eating fast food. You're staying at crappy motels all across America. She's, it seems glamorous, but it really isn't. And so she gave me the reality check of what that lifestyle would be like. And same thing with being a journalist. I could see the writing on the wall, journalism pun, mm -hmm. that it wasn't going to be that lucrative of a career. And it was going to be very hard, stressful work with a lot of deadlines. And I don't mind a good deadline every now and then, but living a life based on deadlines is just not good for my nervous system. And so is when I found blogging, that was an interim mm. move. And now it's more podcast related. But yeah, it's true that the actual job jobs gave me incredible experience, but I almost see them as like business degrees. Oh, okay. I got an MBA in startup life, zero to 30. Okay. I got an MBA at fast moving tech startup life. Okay, great. Now the long haul study, the PhD is in small business. Yeah. And you pivot in the sense that you did end up getting married. I know. I never saw that coming. I really did not think. I was like, you know what? We are not all guaranteed to just find the one and get married. This isn't for me. I was always single. All my friends were married and had kids already. And I just had to get to a point with myself where I'm like, it's just totally okay if that doesn't happen. I can be a happy person, but society is so obsessed mm -hmm. and structured to support getting married as this like holy grail. So I never saw marriage, as I said, in a very positive light. So one of the big surprises of getting married is how fun it's been. And of course, living with someone at all, married or not, I think it's challenging because you just have to constantly navigate intersecting lives and space and working from home and things like that. But it's way more fun and rewarding than I ever thought. So that's been a delightful surprise, I would yeah. say. Yeah, love that. So you did the Google thing. You wrote Life After College, your first book, and then you wrote Pivot which is now, gosh, at the point that you started writing, that was what, 2014, 2015? 2014 is when I got the book deal for it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been like steeped in that world of change and pivot for a long time now. What do you think it was that made you fascinated with that topic or decided that was the body of work that you were going to start? I got really curious about, first of all, why it felt like I was having a nervous breakdown every two years. <laughs> and I felt like there's either something very wrong with me and I'm destined to be miserable or I got to figure this out. At that time that I started working on it, the word pivot was in the startup universe of business pivots, but there was no neutral term for people hitting career plateaus and wanting to make a change without making us feel bad or like those entitled millennials just can't stay put. Nothing's good enough. And I'm at the older end of the millennial generation. Even working in Google, I saw how all these really smart, bright people would get bored sometimes mm -hmm. doing entry-level customer service work. Shocking. And that a year in, they'd be asking me because I was their first trainer in the company oftentimes, what do I do? I'm bored. I don't know what to do. And it was this very secretive thing that nobody wanted to admit that they were board, what I call hitting a plateau or at a pivot point. And it was very hard to have conversations. And so part of my mission with pivot, once I realized that I was not alone and that the pace of career change was accelerating, even at the time I wrote it, the average duration of being in any one role was four to five years. And now we mm -hmm. would laugh at that. 
yeah. with the pandemic, with people moving so quickly, companies expanding and contracting, a year or two is a good mm -hmm. thing. Back then, that was even taboo to stay only in a job or a role for one or two years. And so I do feel, <laughs> I never, I, I try not to say this too often, but I really feel like I did help bring the word pivot into the career conversation yeah, and give people language and a framework for navigating what's next without so much shame and blame around it, which is the spiral that I was often stuck in in those early days without the words to describe it. What are some of the most salient or interesting things that you've learned about change or career change through having been steeped in that for as long as you have now? The number one thing is that let's say you're somebody watching or listening and you're wondering what's next. Nobody solves it in their head. Like you don't land on the answer to your pivot and then you put the plans in place. The biggest thing I found was that I, the third stage of the pivot method is pilot running small experiments mm. that actually we don't know what's next. We can't know. You have to set up small experiments for yourself or pilots, run them. And the metaphor I often use is racehorses at the Kentucky Derby. You're, you don't know which one's going to win. They need to show you which ones take on a momentum all their own. Mm -hmm. Doors start swinging open and serendipitous meetings and introductions start happening. And your energy is really aligned and you feel really good. And you want to keep putting one foot in front mm -hmm. of the other. That's how we navigate change. It's by smart guesses, smart risks. It's not really this oh, I'm going to ruminate in my mind. And when I've looked at and I've thrown enough job application spaghetti out there, the right thing is going to happen. It's that you start doing things in parallel and then read what's going on once you're in process. Yeah, I love that. It makes me think about even just the stages that you have of the pivot framework. It is really smart and it's realistic because I think that there's also just the ethos out there of quit your job and follow your passion. And that's really bad advice in some ways. I get it. I hope that we can all do something that lights us up and that's maybe contributes to the world or to individuals in some way. But I feel like, yeah, just deciding to quit and become a yoga teacher and then being like, oh, I'm only going to get paid $30 a class. What? Yeah. I just feel like it's so nice for people to have the benefit of that kind of framework. That's also why the language of pivot was important to me because it's not a 180. Yeah, I didn't quit Google to become a full-time yoga teacher. The whole idea of pivoting is incremental change. And what I say specifically by doubling down on what's already working. Sure, if you're already a super popular yoga teacher in New York City and you pivot to opening a yoga studio, that's doubling down on what's working. Nice. And yeah. still no guarantee of success. But a lot of times where people hit compare and despair and analysis paralysis is that their pivot angle, the degree of change they're contemplating is too big. It's too high. Mm -hmm. It's too far from what they're already doing, what already has momentum. And the other thing, point to what you said, I was just telling someone yesterday that you can pursue your passion by all means, but the question is how much pivot runway you have to do that. And what are you going to do when the runway runs out? Mm. So for the last year, I've been basically in my head, I'm Joe Rogan. Not everyone likes Joe Rogan, but let's just say like in my head, I'm <laughs> operating as if Tim I'm Ferris a full-time podcaster. Uh -huh. Sure. Fill in your favorite podcaster who actually earns a living from it. <laughs> At the same time, 
I'm pursuing my passion full out, like full out, all, all in, all out. And if I don't figure out the revenue balance of how that's going to look sooner than later, it's just, I like simply can't continue. Sure. And exactly. Your runway will run out. Very interesting because it's super fun to pursue a passion. And there are practicalities about how much runway you have and what you're going to do. And I was saying as well that it's almost like I, in Pivot, I call them worst case scenario cash outs. Mm. What will you do in order if things aren't working in time and you want to buy yourself more time? And so the interesting thing where I'm at right now is I keep ticking over the next domino because I do have so much energy and passion around what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And so far, I just keep ticking over more and more dominoes where it's getting, I'm like further and further out on a ledge and the jury's still out if it's going to work. I think that's the interesting thing about risk, especially as it relates to passion and career and all of that, because our livelihood is connected. It's there's it's It can be heavy. It can be scary. And there's no guarantee of success. So for me, I'm always, when I'm navigating change, I'm always just asking, like, what am I willing to live with? And Jeff Bezos, this has now been very popularized, but he has his regret minimization framework. Looking back on your life when you're 80, what would you regret more? Having tried this risk and possibly failed or having not tried at all? For me, I'm usually leaning toward the former. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised knowing you, but it's just so refreshing to hear someone who is like by all accounts, like very successful as an entrepreneur and a business owner. And you've got all your licensing stuff and all these things that we haven't even touched on here. And you're saying like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to make this thing work. Just like you said, there's no guarantee of success, even if you're skilled, even if you go through the steps that you're quote unquote supposed to go through. And so sometimes that to me just speaks to the fact that we have agency, but we don't have control because there's so many, we can control certain variables, but we cannot control all of them. So we just show up and do our part. And then we can, we can make those changes and we can respond accordingly to the data that's coming in. And sometimes we go, man, some of these variables that aren't within my control are winning and I have to change course accordingly. There's this Lao Tzu quote in free time that's something along the lines of, if one flows with nature, one needs no other force. (laughs) And then while my dad was editing the book, he put an asterisk and he's, yes, but one must flow near an income stream. (laughs) I laughed so hard that I put that in the book because... Because it's true. And I appreciate your reflection as well. Part of what makes something exciting to pursue for me is when it's new and it's not a totally established space or it's not obvious. I guess that's part of the game and the challenge. And that's something I would encourage all pivoters to embrace is that secretly, I think our minds love the challenge setting a high bar or trying to figure out what's next or trying to stay in flow with our Mm. life and our energy. And what's interesting about what you said is that, yes, we have agency. We don't always have control of the external environment. So how do we keep navigating those two things and tapping into the flow and realizing, I almost feel like sometimes the universe or society, or the economy, whatever you want to say, <laughs> puts bumper bumpers up for us, like at the bowling alley, and we need to hit against the bumpers and to get ourselves back on track. 
And even being a business owner, like you said, even being established, having three books, two podcasts, yada, is very easy. I think the bumpers that I navigate are over complicating my business or over cramming my calendar. And so it's not that I couldn't earn a living. It's just, hey, I kind of want to shift what activities are earning the living to better align with my energy. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy, especially when you're your own boss, to stay in things that are good, but maybe no longer as resonant and overly cram, overly say yes, not have great boundaries. And yeah, that's just something I've noticed. It's not the same challenge as trying to quit a corporate job and start from scratch. It's mm-hmm. then the challenge of trying to pare down all the spaghetti that I've flung at the walls over the years <laughs> and peel, literally peel it back and go, okay, which ones do I really, going back to pivot, do I really want to double down on? And then how do I get that financial piece to work? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I'm even just thinking about like the, I don't know if it's really a dichotomy or a false dichotomy, but like, I remember you doing a webinar or something at one point that was about your however many streams of income that you had. And the truth is diversification can be necessary for survival, especially when you're an entrepreneur. So having different streams of points has been fundamental for you to keep your business going and for many people. And then there's like the essentialism message and we need to double down on the thing and be willing to strike everything else and That's something that I don't know if the term multi-passionate or whatever, but it's just really hard for me and maybe for you and for a lot of people, I think, to just be like, I do want to pare down and cut the unnecessary stuff that's maybe getting in the way. But also there's something to be said for a little diversification. Yes, that webinar was on 10 plus streams of scalable income. I think it got to 12. I think 12 was my, but not all of them were active. Some were totally passive. And yeah, exactly that. I've been trying to think about, I've decided for myself, three. I'm allowed to have three active streams of income. And the passive ones are great. I always, whatever I can do, let's say book sales, royalties, video royalties from LinkedIn learning courses, affiliate revenue, all of that's passive. And it's happening in the background as a result of everything else that I'm doing. But going to Jim Collins and the flywheel, there's a great book. He wrote a little mini monograph just on the flywheel effect. The flywheel is that how do you get an ecosystem of activities? And that's why I say I'm allowed to have three, as long as they connect in and benefit each other. So for example, my two podcasts and newsletters, those are free. Those are totally free. Anyone can find them and get connected. Okay. Then those might lead to book sales or book sales might lead to podcast listeners. Podcast listeners might lead to speaking inquiries or licensing clients. Like as long as it all connects and feeds and helps the whole momentum flywheel turn faster, that I think is tenable. What's really hard is if you have just completely different things and then then you just need smart systems and probably a little team support. But I don't think I realized probably for the first 10 years of running my business, how having too many active streams or activities really dilutes focus and it Mm. complicates process Mm. because instead of just dialing in, if I was just to say, oh, okay, I'm just going to focus on licensing. 
my team and I would just only ever be talking and thinking about licensing and the processes behind it and how do we get more clients and how do we have sales calls and how do we support our current clients? That would be the equivalent of somebody who is a full-time coach. And I know full-time coaches who earn seven figures from that and they love that and they really spend their time in those one-on-one containers and it's, you can build a lot more momentum because you are harnessing your, all of your energy, building mm-hmm. referral processes, building onboarding process. Everything you do becomes this really tight machine Yeah. versus, yes, the multi-passionate. It's a little harder when you're like, oh, I've created 10 things. Great. Now a new team member has 10 things to figure out and keep track of. And yeah. that's where it gets overly complicated. So figuring out where, and I like how you described that for yourself, having the passive, having the three active, if it's in the same ecosystem, that feels a lot more doable because yeah, it sounds nice of having one well-oiled machine, but man, you better love that one thing a lot and be a hundred percent in on. (laughs) That's it. When I would think about licensing, let's say the day-to-day of trying to get more licensing clients does not interest me at all. Whereas if I build the brand of what I'm doing and Google has rolled out Pivot as their global career development framework, the more I build my brand, the more I do one-to-many communications in the ways that build thought leadership and build the brand as the go-to career change framework, that can also lead to licensing as a sort of byproduct. But the day-to-day of that, I will enjoy so much more. And I didn't mention part of my flywheel is the private community that you, Valerie, are a founding longtime member of. And so the more visibility for the free stuff or the books, then that can also feed into the ones who really resonate, come join us in the private community. And then that's recurring revenue. So between the podcast, the community, and let's say speaking, those are all active. Then that's it. I've had to tell myself this year after launching free time and a whole second brand, no new projects. Like I just had to (laughs) cut myself off. I love building. Building is where I have the most fun. Building behind the scenes, tinkering. And now there's a kibosh. No more building. I've created everything I need across pivot and free time. Everything is pretty much built. I am not allowed to build anything new. It's now time to grow what already exists. Yeah. Ooh, I always need that message because I'm similar in that if I have an idea, I'm like, this is so exciting. I want to do this idea. And I need to water and take care of the ideas that are already out there existing. I have a lot of friends who are getting into gardening. And I think a mistake I've made is that every year I just scrape the whole garden and build a whole new one. And I'm (laughs) putting so much energy into replanting a whole bunch of stuff. And that the equivalent in my business would be creating a new course every year, whether it's about podcasting, book publishing, delegating. I've done so many. I've done over 10 courses in 10 years. So I was essentially every year just like ripping out the entire garden that had already been planted instead of watering it, as you just said. Whereas I saw people who they pick one flagship course, Mm. they water it every year. Every year they get better at watering it and knowing what it needs Mm. to thrive. And every year that one thing is able to build and grow and snowball and momentum. Yeah. Yeah. It's where, but it's tempting because if you don't naturally enjoy the growing, optimizing and maintaining stages, it's just way more fun <laughs> to go look at a, a new yeah. pot of dirt and build the new thing. Probably has to do some with whatever is on our strengths finder stuff, right? <laughs> yes. 
So my last pivot question is with the book, I mean, by its nature, it's evergreen in that it's you're talking about how everything's always changing. But I also imagine that there was perhaps a an increased interest in the book and the idea during all the pandemic stuff. And I'm wondering, have you thought about, do you, would you ever see yourself writing like a post-pandemic second edition of Pivot? I thought about that. The irony of Pivot is that in 2019, I decided I would make 2020 a tipping point for the book. I was like, speaking of the growth phase, it was the fourth year, fifth year that the book would have been out. And I'm like, I'm going to really go all in 2020. Mm. I signed up for airport placement. I signed up for the TED conference. I was like, put all these big financial bets. And then when the pandemic hit in March, all of that got wiped off the table, postponed. And then the ironic thing is that pivoting and career pivots was just ubiquitous in the news and in culture. The term had like fully gone mainstream. So the term itself did, I think, experience a real tipping point because of the pandemic. That didn't quite translate exactly into like a stratospheric book sale. When I thought about a revision, I agree. Now I joke that seeing a book that's pre-pandemic, you just think to the author, like, you don't even know what's coming. <laughs> that's the before time. But I did. I was very intentional about writing an evergreen book. And when I thought about, do I have anything new to say? That's not the crux of what's in there. Not really. The method, I think, still holds strong, still applies. Probably the stories would be very different. I could probably just fill an entire book. Sure. Of and one critique, one of the lesser star reviews of the book was that I didn't spend enough time talking about the emotional aspects of pivoting, which is funny because we cut out an entire part. The pivot method was originally just the third part of a four-part book. And the first part was called Surf the Void. Mm -hmm. And so this person was probably wishing that I had included Surf the Void. And I do think that with the pandemic, there was a lot more emotional elements and exhaustion. And we all got pivoted. It wasn't just this. In, in the book, I'm talking more about pivots of your choosing. Whereas this was a time collectively where we all got pivoted and had to navigate so much. But I'm also not, I don't know, as I think on theme with this discussion, once I've given a project like a book, everything I have, it's complete for me. And I had my agent and even the publisher want me to do Pivot 2.0. And I just, I don't have it. <laughs> I said everything yeah. I had to say. I had my, I said my best ideas. They're all there. I worked on it with every ounce of my being for three years. And it's all there. I left it all on the table. Yes. And so I'm not one that's eager to revise it for the next 25 years. Yeah. I love that. I mean, just because one can doesn't mean one should or needs to. Just because second editions are a thing that happens doesn't mean that for your book to continue to live on and be useful, that it must have a new and revised edition. I didn't even double down during the pandemic. I didn't even want to just let me go like pitch myself everywhere and become like the go-to pandemic speaker on pivoting. I actually took it as a sign when all my gigs were canceled. Ooh, I call it when the financial tides recede as well. Similarly, I always figure when these things happen in my business, I take it as almost energetic information. Ooh, what am I meant to step back from the busyness and fulfilling client work to create? What's next yeah. for me? And that is what gave me the aha around free time at, toward the end of 2020. And 
I had to give myself permission and overcome a lot of fear about going all in on small business owners where my passion had been, as you know, Valerie, from our private community for five years. This was the stuff that behind the scenes I was excited about. So I also feel I could have easily lived a parallel life where I go, oh, pandemic hit. This is my time. I'm going to keep talking about pivot for the next five years. But personally, my energy was more looking at what's next and what's the next trend wave. And I felt by the time pivot was so mainstream, it's almost like the work there is done for me energetically, for me as a messenger, not as a business owner. If I were a smarter business person, I probably would have just stuck with it. Well, yeah, you want to follow what's lighting you up. And also you could do that in a way that was that worked for your business and your goals and came out with this beautiful new book as a result. So for people who are not familiar with you, free time, the book, the podcast, the framework came to be, you created this out of what you had to do for yourself, which is where really the best things are created is what we have lived through and the crucible of our own experience. And now wanting to share that with others to help them hopefully not have to figure it all out from scratch because systems is the name of the game with free time. So maybe just say a little bit in your words about what this whole free time thing is. The crux of the book is how do we see free time, not just as leisure time when we're not working, but as a verb, as a skill. How do we get better and smarter at creating free time in our life and in our work? The systems that I share, which I do love, that's one of my hobbies, is just figuring out how to tinker and automate things through software to save time. Because I feel when I wrote the book for business owners, but it can apply to more, of course, who are beset by the burdensome bees, bored, bottlenecked, burnt out, or buried by bureaucracy. That happened to me when I worked in corporate, all those bees, they happen to me as a business owner. So even when you do run your own business and you're your own boss and you have autonomy, sometimes we become our own worst boss. And so this book is a way to actually teach people the skills of systems thinking so that we can generate more free time to do more of our best work, our creative strategic work, that is the most meaningful and fulfilling rather than getting buried in all the small, tiny things that just accumulate and drain our energy. Because I don't think anybody likes doing tiny, tedious tasks. There are certain tiny tasks people love. That's cool. That's something else altogether. Like I could organize bookshelves all day. But the ones that you don't like, I want to help readers get smarter about how to move them off their plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see if I get the tagline right. Or one of kind of your mantras, earn twice as much in half the time with ease and joy while serving the highest good. You did it. (laughs) And that's, gosh, who would argue with that? And I get that some people might be employees and may not have as much control over what they're earning, at least right now. But there's still so much from just internalizing that type of systems thinking of saving the next person time as you talk about. And I just love the example that you give in the book of going to stay with your friend in London and, you know, her telling you like, okay, here's where the key is. And you were going to stay at her place while she wasn't there. So she had to give you all the info and you're like, Hey, can I put this in a Google doc and then share? And it's just like that 
for life and for work is just like we we can make things easier on ourselves and maybe we should. And in that example, I didn't know what she did with that after my stay. We did collaborate on this now beautiful Google Doc and then I forgot about it. And that was in 2017. And then in 2021, I'm staying with my friend Anne getting out of New York City and the same thing was happening. I, I wanted to get out of the city. Anne wasn't going to be there. She started texting me all these instructions. And I said, hey, do you want me to throw this in a Google Doc? And she goes, ooh, like the one you made for Julie? Yes, please. So years later, she knew this Google Doc because she had, Julie had sent it to Anne over Anne's stays because we're all mutual friends. And so the thing that taught me is that a good system is so good that it's harder not to use it. Mm-hmm. Like it would be harder for Julie to then text the next friend rather than send them the link to this Google Doc. Because sometimes people resist systems. They think I'm not good at that. That's a pain. Oh, it takes time to set up. It's a headache. Yeah. When you get it right, it's so elegant and clean that it, oh, you're just really, should be a feeling of relief at something that was frustrating you or causing friction. And that it's just so much harder not to use it than to use it. And you, another example, if anyone's heard me before, you've heard me say this one a million times. But it's important, the thing about putting your paper towels on subscription, whether you get them from Bamboo, some natural site, if you get it from a big retailer that we won't name. The thing about that, the reason I use that example all the time is it's something simple on the home front that you never have to think about again, unless you're, let's say, going to be gone for three months and you don't want paper towels stacking up to the ceilings. Other than that, once you get the right system in place, it's off your mind completely. It's not, oh, it makes every time you have to go to the grocery store and get paper towels 5% easier. That's not what we're talking about. (laughs) We're talking about you put one thing into place, you don't think about it again. Yeah, Uh, love that. Kind of thinking about some of the day-to-day changes, habit-related stuff, because that's another kind of a different beast when it comes to change. And it's really, I mean, something I love tinkering with my habits, just like you love tinkering with systems. So I always am curious when you've had habits or behaviors that you want to change, what are some of the things that have helped you be more successful? I love a good streak. I'm motivated (laughs) by streaks, whether it's in the Peloton app, which you and I are buddies in there, Duolingo, I'm currently on a seven-day, 70-day streak nice. Arabic. And Duolingo, if anybody wants to study gamification, it's truly incredible how they mm. gamify the language learning process and they make sure that you don't get off track and they make it so fun to stay on track. So streaks always help me. And the other thing is permission to do less. So I love a good daily Peloton streak. Sometimes I have to allow myself that it could be a 15 minute stretch or a 20 minute yoga, something it doesn't have to always be a 60 minute hardcore all out dripping sweat bike ride. And those feel good. But sometimes if I wait to do that type of a workout, I just I just don't do anything at all. And so that permission to do less is helpful. And that ties back to how we started this conversation with any creative pursuit is just that permission to be a little less ambitious as long as it still gets done. Yeah. To nerd out about Peloton for a minute. I got my little my I know. Peloton shirt on. Let's have them send you some shorts. Right, please. <laughs> I should really thank you because I know that I'd heard of it and I can't remember if I had been using the app at all before I heard you talk about it. But I know that hearing you talk more about it during the pandemic 
was what finally got me. I wonder if I need to order this bike though. And now I have a bike and a tread. And you're on fire. Like your workouts, your streaks, it's incredible what you've done. Yeah. I just love it. I just love moving my body. And to your point, like sometimes to keep my streak, in fact, the night that that you had the book launch party for free time in New York City, which by the way, for folks listening, was the first time that Jenny and I met in person. And we've known each other on the internet now for, I don't know, seven, eight years. Yeah, And so that was amazing. Such a great trip, such a beautiful event. And we're like, I think I had, I can't remember what happened with my travel, but I did not fit in a workout, which normally I love working out in the morning. And walking back, that night with MJC and got back to my hotel and I'm like, oh, it's 11.58. I started a meditation and I was like, it counted it. So I didn't you lose my to. streak that's been going since October, but it was so funny. Yeah, silly that sometimes it's okay. Does it really count? Do I get to keep the streak with a five minute meditation? But you know what? I've kept it. <laughs> I think you do because you kept your commitment. Sometimes a five minute meditation is what's needed. <laughs> And going back again, I've noticed this with Duolingo. Sometimes I'm totally into it and I'm cramming through 10 lessons and I'm learning so much. And then last week I hit just this crazy wall or dip where I did the bare minimum to keep my streak. And I'm talking bare minimum. I didn't want to learn anything new. I don't want to try. I, I really <laughs> hit a wall. And that's fine because if I let myself phone it in, shall we say, for about a week, I did notice my energy naturally came back to do lessons again and to keep going and to not give up. Whereas when it is all or nothing might take, I noticed myself, if I were in your position, let's say I dropped that meditation. I didn't do that meditation when mm -hmm. I got home to the hotel. Then the streak is broken. Then I'm discouraged. Then I'm like, F it. I don't really need to do a workout tomorrow either. And I'll just let it all fall apart. And sometimes phoning it in in that way, allows me to just say, I still have my streak, get back on track, we'll do something a little better tomorrow. Exactly. And truly, the research shows us that doing something every day is easier than doing something like three times a week, because there's just the habitual, like, this is a thing I do every day. So that is absolutely true. And of course, we know that whatever the thing is, if we're going for some kind of streak or that it's got to be this, it has to be this for it to count. We're at some point, I will absolutely lose my streak at some point. It's going to happen. I don't know when, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I guarantee you it's going to happen. And so that's when the psychological flexibility hopefully will show up to go, yeah, I'm starting over. Also, who cares? It's, I love the metaphor of if you're driving along and you get a flat tire, what would you do? Yeah, I would pull over and I would change the tire if I had a spare. Right. And maybe you would need help, right? You would need tools. Yeah. But yeah, you would get out and you would change and put the spare on or whatever. What we often do instead is we get out and we're like, God damn it. And we slash the other three tires because we're just so frustrated. We're like, F it. I just don't have it in me to deal with this. So of course, we would never do that in real life, but we do that to ourselves all the time when it comes to kind of falling off the wagon or slipping a little bit on something. Hopefully, we can all allow ourselves that frustration when we've gotten the flat, but then dust ourselves off, get our support, get our tools and put the, put on the spare. See, that also reminds me of 
willpower being a finite resource. And the mm. reason daily is so much easier is there's no decision. There's no decision fatigue. Yes. Oh, should I work out today? If so, what time? What workout? Oh, that's too many questions. I am going to work out today. So I want to get it over with now. <laughs> or you sounds like really enjoy it and look forward to it. So I go in waves. I love it when I'm doing it, but sometimes I just procrastinate. Which sure. is not good. It's better when I just get it done. But the thing about the tires is if you're pushing your car with willpower and one tire goes out, you might get so fed up with the exertion of willpower that you do slash all four tires and you go, you know what? I'd rather ride a bike. I'm sick of this. I'm yeah. expecting too much. And I don't even have the energy to fix the one tire. Like I'd rather slash burn it all down mode. Uh, yes. Because sometimes the one tire is just the final straw uh, in the car. Okay. Actually, I am, this is not working. I am exerting too much willpower. I got to change something. And that actually the flat tire is the indicator. Okay, literally stop. What you're doing is not working. But you're right. Other times, it's just chance. Like we just hit a flat tire. And then and there's no point in saying, oh, I shouldn't have driven that route. Oh, I drove over the wrong, in the wrong lane. Then I'm such an idiot. And then I hit a nail. It's no, sometimes the flat tire just happens. Just got to keep moving. Yep. Amen. To whatever extent that you know or want to share anything related to this question, what is Jenny Blake's next pivot? Well, the reason I wrote pivot is I knew if I wrote a book about change, then anything I did that changed would be on brand. I guess live that book's message for the rest of my life. So I feel I did give myself some breathing room there. Next pivot, I'd say it's a pivot in progress. I'm really excited by free time and I'm still quite energized by Pivot as well. I feel that I built myself a little media company <laughs> with these properties. And as I mentioned earlier, the Pivot in progress is actually to stay put and mm -hmm. to keep with our farming metaphor, let the roots go deeper into the ground right where I am. So now I have everything built. It's the seeds are all planted for Pivot newsletter, podcast, speaking, licensing. I have a coaching team. I don't do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the exact same structure, I actually just copied myself what I had built with Pivot and built it, mapped it over for free time. And so the Pivot in progress is, can I, do I have the courage? Do I have the financial smarts to try to keep my time as streamlined as I have gotten it? stay right where I am and grow this all and make it work. And that's really about platform and audience growth. And that's a stretch zone for me because I'm usually pretty laissez-faire about whoever's here is meant to be here. <laughs> At the same time, if I had 10 times, I always try to be grateful for exactly what I have and exactly where I am. And that's been a big practice lately without wondering what's next or pining for some bigger numbers in whatever capacity. At the same time, in a very real sense, if I had 10 times the number of newsletter subscribers or podcast listeners or 100x, I would be doing the exact same amount of work. And I could be earning a real living and monetizing it from those things alone. So where I think is that that's the whole idea of leverage and scale is that the same exact amount of work, those same 12 podcast episodes could yield a more abundant income from that channel alone for the same amount of work. So that's why I'm putting myself in the stretch zone to focus on growth and numbers and not really know how to do it and not know if it's going to work, but to understand and recognize 
that if I do put my energy there, there is a very real difference for the same amount of output. Yeah. Oh, so true. And I love that in the image of just the roots going deeper. I also, I'm like, let me just spread a lot of these seeds and see what takes you. But that's, I feel like it's been my word of the year for like years. And one of these days it's going to stick the idea of depth. And that's why I love Cal Newport's work. And I'm like, can't wait for his deep life book and all of that. But just that instead of continuing to go wider, how can I really root down into these things that that you've put so much work into building. And I can't wait to see what happens when you do. Thank you. Thank you. And you too. I really see you doing that with your practice as well. Like just the ways you've stretched yourself and deepening your practice and setting up your own delightfully tiny team. It's just so incredible to see you doing that too. Thank you. And I always picture, I used to picture when I was meditating the image of a taproot to recall that image because or definition. I don't know exactly even what specifically yeah. the taproot means, but the image in my head was always that the roots are really digging deep and the branches are still stretching. And so mm-hmm. just like in a yoga class, like you really are lifting through your crown and your ideas and your energy and exploring and tapping into the collective consciousness. And that's the upward, outward branches while the roots stay grounded while the roots dig deeper at the same time and just seeing that and just picturing that mm-hmm. drink from that dynamic of both directions mm-hmm. was always really inspiring for me. Yeah, I love that image. Tell us, obviously I'll share your links in the show notes and in the intro, but tell people where to find you. Sure. If you're listening to this on a podcast app, you could search for Pivot with Jenny Blake or Free Time with Jenny Blake. Those are my two shows. So basically my name, we'll pull them both up. And if you want to check out either of the websites, there's a free toolkit for both sites, pivotmethod.com slash toolkit and it's freetime.com slash toolkit. And those resources, you put out some incredible free stuff. So go check out Jenny's free stuff. Check out the podcast. They are two of my favorite. And as you always say on your podcast, that... As an introvert, which I also am, being able to have conversations like this to catch up with friends via a podcast interview is one of my favorite things about doing this. So this has been so much fun. I so appreciate you doing this. Me too. And I hope you linked our OG conversation. I will. Because it was one of my favorites, probably of all time, like just your interview style. And I really enjoyed that kickoff one that we did and I'm so happy to be back for this show so thank you Val and everybody listening yeah you should check out that early one because I really enjoyed that chat too and it is the best way to make and keep friends I think is just have a podcast (laughs) and you catch up and you hit record and everyone else gets to listen in so absolutely to like hope you enjoyed this episode and if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it or maybe leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I would be ridiculously appreciative. If you or someone you know has an interesting and inspiring story about change, please reach out and let me know. You can send any interview recommendations to creaturesofchangepodcast at gmail.com. For show notes for this and previous episodes, head over to gaiacenter.co slash podcast. That's G-A-I-A center.co slash podcast, where you can also check out our sister podcast, Bodyful. 
You can connect with me on Instagram at Val K. Martin, that's K-A-Y spelled out, and at the Gaia Center, which is the name of my Nashville-based therapy practice. You can also sign up for the Gaia Center monthly newsletter at bit.ly slash Gaia Center News, where we'll share about groups and events we're offering locally, along with tips and resources from our therapists that we hope will be valuable and relevant wherever you may be listening from. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time.